Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We are brought to you in part by Duntire. Phone lines are open the entire way. No guests lined up. We want to hear from you on Q's Basketball, 315-437-7644. Time to look back on the season, look ahead to what's next. Uh, we're doing this show, Seth, about two weeks later than I think we all expected. Syracuse sneaks in the tournament, What do you mean? They three could be, games. They could be playing in the Garden tomorrow night. Well, you know what I mean. The look back. If they had gone to the NIT, we would have been looking back immediately on the season and, and what lies ahead. It would have felt like the season was over. This team uh, took us all on quite a ride over the course of the last couple of weeks. Media, fans, uh, this community, uh, winning three games, you know, winning the one in Dayton, then going to Detroit, knocking off Michigan State the way they did, and then putting one heck of a scare into the Duke Blue Devils on Friday night. Syracuse comes up just short, obviously, 69-65. But for a team that I remember before the season started, Seth, we were talking about some of the the expectations and the the publications around the country. One in particular, I believe it was CBS, that said Syracuse is going to have trouble just making the NIT. And then they win 23 games, they go to a Sweet 16, and again, they put one heck of a scare uh, into Duke. And and that close to going to the regional final, um, an amazing run, and it it changes the narrative on on what this season could have been. They seemed destined for the NIT three weeks ago, and uh, and they come within a whisker going to the Elite Eight. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned it there, and this is something I wanted to hit on. I, I was thinking about writing something for the website at some point, but... Um, I'm glad that this team made a Sweet 16 run. Um, and, and I say that for this reason, because this team and, and what they did for whatever reason, like it feels like in a way they deserve to have some kind of like memory of them. And this year, let's let's be totally honest, for the most part, this year was forgettable, right? Like th- there was nothing crazy that happened. They didn't, you know, beat Kansas. They didn't beat Duke. They didn't beat UNC. They didn't beat Virginia. They didn't you know, knock off one of the big guys. They didn't lose to anybody atrocious. It it was largely a ho-hum, forgettable year, right? Until you got to Selection Sunday. And then this team made the tournament when I I think a lot of people assumed they wouldn't, and then went on this run. And so in a way, I'm glad that this team made the run because to be able to put that year together and win 20-plus games and, you know, have the success, relative success that they did given only having, what, four healthy bodies by the end? I mean, that was remarkable. Yeah, and you say it was a forgettable year. I, I think up until that point, it would have been remembered as a year of of all the things that went wrong. It would have been the, the departures, right? Torian Thompson leaving right before the season started, and Geno Thorpe, you know, after a handful of games, doesn't like his role, and then he leaves, and then Howard Washington goes down with a torn ACL, and Barama Sidibe uh, banged up. You know, Frank Howard alluded to it in the locker room after the game, uh, not naming him by name, but saying, you know, one of our guys is going to need surgery on his knee, uh, most likely, and I think he kind of caught himself, but uh, alluding to— He didn't want to catch him, again, yeah. 
reading between the lines, alluding to the fact that Barama's probably going to need knee surgery to to fix whatever he's right. got going on. And and they needed him to play. Both centers by the end of the year, I mean, Pascal included. Pascal he was, hurt. was he had, you know, he it looked like he was playing on one leg by the end of the year. Yeah. So to, and that's what I mean. Like right. this turn this team deserved to have something. I think right? it would like have this, been remembered as the year where remember that year all those things went wrong? Right. But like I felt like this team deserved to have something like actually good to remember you by like oh that year that 2018 season where it was young and they shouldn't have done much and they had all these injuries and they had two departures before december and they had a third guy get hurt in mid-january oh they went to the sweet 16 right remember how fun that march was like remember how fun those games were where they went you know four and two and they beat wake forest and they beat middle tennis and they they beat uh you know, Michigan State in Detroit. Like, remember that month? Like, that month was really fun. I don't think there's any question. And, and again, I want to hear from our listeners at, at 315-437-7644. I think this team will be, be looked upon fondly moving forward. I don't think this is a team that you're going to forget about tomorrow. I think this is no. a team that will be remembered as, again, remember that team that all those things went wrong and they grinded out three wins in, in the NCAA tournament. You look at that game against Duke, Seth. I, think I, get, that, I guess that's my larger point, yeah, right? right? Like because I don't think we would remember that team this way, this team that way. Certainly not. Had they not made the tournament, certainly right? not. Like it would have just been the forgotten year that you mentioned. Hey, remember all those things that went wrong, and and that guard who transferred in and played six games, and and Howard Washington got hurt and and had to te- and you know tore his ACL and, and got hurt and you know missed half the season. Like it would have just been a largely forgotten year. But this run, now you look back on it fondly, you say, wow. How great was that season? All these things went wrong, and oh, by the way, they went to the Sweet 16. And if you look at that Duke game, I think that Duke game in particular shows you how much this team grew up over the course of just a month. I mean, they were overmatched in that game at Cameron. And yeah, they only scored 44 points. And as good as they were defensively, as bad as Duke was that night, they still lost the game by 16. And you felt like going into this contest, all right, I know that the defense has ratcheted it up a notch and they're playing on a different level, but can they really hang with Duke? They hung with Duke. They outshot Duke. They out-rebounded Duke. At times in that game, they outplayed Duke. They took every punch from Duke. I mean, they fell behind by nine points in the second half, and you felt like, all right, they're in a little bit of trouble here. What do they do? They fight back. They made it a one-possession game. You know, it's it's they're within striking distance down the stretch, and that that's all you could have asked for going into that game. Be within striking distance with a few minutes left, and you know what? This time... The shots just didn't fall. You know, Tyus Battle has a free throw rim out. It, you know, li- little things that, you know, just if they'd gone, it, things gone a little bit differently down the stretch, you know, they could have won that game. But I, I think it shows you how much this team improved, how much this team grew up. Um, it shows you how much credit this team deserves to be, you know, literally a possession away uh, from beating the Duke Blue Devils with a with a spot in the Elite Eight on the line. Yeah, and, and you say, you know, shots fall at the end. How about Miss Dunks? Right, like, 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 little, like, that's the difference in the game. What there were three, four missed dunks in that game. I, I mean, that really is kind of the difference, isn't it? And it, it'll, I don't want to say hurt, but it might hurt all the more because you played even with Duke, and uh, like you said, you outshot them, you out rebounded them for a large portion of the game, you outplayed them for a portion of the game, um, and and it just wasn't enough. You know, free throw shooting, you. It's a it's a three po- it's a four point game. You missed six free throws. Uh, I mean that'll that'll do it. 
Right. Anytime I mean, you lose a close game, you're going to go back and you're going to point to certain things. You and had I, I 16 think 16 turnovers. Well, right. And I was going to point <laughs> to that is that I think SU will look back, especially on the first half, because they they committed 12 of those turnovers in the first half. You talk about the missed dunks. O'Shea Brissett had, had a couple of of missed opportunities, let's say, in the first half, and you know they go into the locker room down by seven. It felt like they should have been even, maybe even winning. I mean, they Duke goes on a 10-0 run to close out the first half. Syracuse played well enough to go into the locker room with a lead, and you did feel like, all right, they they missed some opportunities there in the first Absolutely. half. The 12 turnovers, a couple of missed dunks. Again, to their credit, though, Duke is, is on the verge of creating some separation. You felt like if they got to double digits, Syracuse wasn't coming back from that. And to their credit, SU comes out of the locker room. They immediately go on that 6-0 run. They put Brissett in the high post. Dolajai started in the high post, as you remember, in the first half. He had three turnovers in nine minutes. Brissett goes in the high post to start the second half. And they score on two possessions. He touched the ball on both possessions, had one basket. Then Chuku gets the hoop and the foul. And now all of a sudden, it's back to a one-point game. Syracuse right back in it. And, and you know it's nip and re- tuck the rest of the way. You know what I really like? You mentioned Brissett in the high post. I really like Frank in the high post. I mean, I think that adds something different. And, and I know, you know, I talked about this last week as to why I wouldn't put Brissett there. And I think the same things applied to Frank. And, and my reasoning was... You only have three semi-reliable three-point shooters, right? Like you only have three guys that you feel comfortable taking a three-point shot. So I want them beyond the three-point arc. I don't want them in the middle. You know, if if this is next year, right? If if this is next year, where maybe you have a couple more reliable shooters and you're playing his own team, like why not put Frank in the middle? He's he's a good enough decision maker. Can shoot from there. Can drive from there. I. You know, that that was something that intrigued me a lot, putting him right there in the middle of that zone. I think this is something you and I disagree on. Uh, I think Frank Howard, I firmly believe Frank Howard is the starting point guard on next year's team. And I and I, I don't believe you think that. I think he's the starting two. Right. I know you do. I think he's the starting point guard. And you say, why wouldn't you put him in the high post? Because you want your starting point guard handling the ball. And I realize the turnovers were a problem for him at times. Um for the most part, it took care of the basketball in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And I think he's going to continue to get better. And again, we keep pointing to the fact that this is his first year as a full-time starter at the point. Remember, I know Jalen Carey's coming in. He's a combo guard as well. He's not played all that much in the way of point guard. Yeah, he, he played a little more point this year uh, in high school, but he's relatively new to that position as well. I think by nature, he's probably a two-guard. So I think you're going to have your your starting point guard is going to be a senior opposed to a true freshman, in my opinion. I also like the name chain, ga- chain game of uh, Frank Howard, Howard Washington. as a You like just, that? Just because of the, the name thing. And you wonder if Howard Washington will be ready in time for the fall? Um, you know, again, I don't think we know. Right. Hard to say at this point. I mean, everybody's different coming back from ACL tears. Uh, his ACL tear was right around uh, the beginning of the year, so... Uh, it was, well, it was late, late January, late, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. It was January. I can't, I can't remember exactly January. when it was. Right. The so, Georgia Tech game was, I believe, the last week of January. Right. So, can he so be ready in, after that pit game? Can he be ready in nine months, ten months? It um, happened after the pit game. The pit game was on the twenty seventh. So it happened on what the twenty eighth or 29th? Okay. Right. So it was late January. I was thinking it was a little bit earlier in January, but you're right. It was late January. Can he be ready in nine months? I don't know. Um, Adrian Peterson was. Adrian Peterson, I, I only bring that up. He screwed up the ACL timeline for everybody, didn't he? <laughs> by, by coming back. And right, like he plays running. football on top of that. 
Coming back and running for 2,000 yards eight months after he tore his ACL screwed it up for everyone. Everybody's different. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think he's, you know, you, you kind of slot him in regardless of what happens with Tyus Bowden. Now, if Tyus comes back. Changes the whole equation. Yeah, potentially. Um, because, you know, obviously he'll be a starter. You Frank will start at the Frank will right. start at the one, Tyus the two. And then what do you do with the three? Is that Elijah Hughes? Is it Jay Is it. Yeah, well, right. O'Shea, ba- Basley at the Basley, four. Basley, right, and, and then Chuku, yeah. right. So who, uh, you know. Or or have fun and go small ball. And not start Chuku? Right. That's the beauty of this. I mean, we're, we're going to have a long have, time to talk about this part of it. We have six months to do this. Long time to talk <laughs> about this part of it. All right, let's take our first break. We'll open it up to phone calls here, 315-437-7644. I mean, what are you going to remember from this team, this run? Think about it. If Shannon Evans hits that corner three late in the game, none of this happens. I mean, they probably lose to Arizona State by one. Is that the amazing part? And I saw Jim Boeheim say something about, oh, well, those teams just didn't play well, and I'm hearing a lot about them not playing well. Isn't that one of the amazing things about this run? Like, Arizona State had the shot at the end of the game to win. TCU had open shots and could have won that game. Michigan State had a lot of open shots that they missed. How many open threes did Duke miss on on Friday? I mean, they, they're Grayson Allen is still putting up open top of the key threes. And, well, like I, and I, 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 I think this. the defense plays into it. Don't get me wrong. Yes. The, the defense at the beginning of the game, getting them tough looks, bothers you at the end. I, I buy into that completely. But like they. Did this and 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 you know a lot of a lot of looks at the later portions of these games were pretty good. Like it could have ended at any time before it did. I think Jim Beheim is right that this is just a fluke. Like maybe a game or two is a fluke. Four opponents in a row did not shoot the ball well, and some of that is running guys off their spots. Some of that is you know leaving the right guy open. Um, some of it is, you know, contesting threes. So I think all of that plays into it. Now, Michigan State missing 14 threes in a row. That was insane. I, that was pressure. I, th- I think the yeah. pressure got to them to some degree. And, you know, Jim Beham spoke to that as well, that the home crowd can sometimes work against you. I think it worked against them in that situation. But this was not just a case of teams missing open threes. I mean, Syracuse defensively was fantastic throughout this run. My point with the Shannon Evans three was it was a relatively good look. It goes in and out. If that thing goes in, then none of this happens. But you can say that about anybody. I mean, Grayson Allen, his shot almost went in twice last night at the end of regulation. If that goes in, they might win the national title. Loyola Chicago obviously had some close calls. You know, now they're going to the final four. So it's, I mean, there is such a fine line between winning and losing. A bounce here, a bounce there. Shot goes in here, doesn't go in there. And it, it, it changes what happens in this tournament. I know you and I, you know, discussed this last week about, you know, would you prefer any other way of determining your national champion? This tournament <laughs> is great for those yes. reasons. A bounce here, a bounce there. It changes the complexion of everything. Yeah. I know I, I said, I said last week, like, it's a pretty funny way of determining your champion because of that, right? Because, you know, anything can happen in one game. I love it so much, though. Like, there's this part of me, and and this came up when we're thinking about, when you hear these headlines about, oh, expand the tournament, expand the tournament, expand the tournament. Like, I hate the idea on the surface of expanding the tournament. It's stupid, right? Then you have have just flat-out bad teams that would make it. Like, there's just no point. But at the same time, I look at this and I'm like, I would love 32 basketball games in a day. Like, I would eat it up. I would still watch it all. So, 
like th- this tournament is so weird and like it might not be the best way in the world to decide a champion but at the end of the day you have two one seeds you have the hottest postseason team and you have a, a quote unquote Cinderella so it kind of got it right the one tweak and we could talk about this we have a lot of time obviously to discuss this but the one tweak I would make with the NCAA tournament or at least consider would be with the first four games instead of making two games yes. of six teams 16 seeds and two games of 11s put all the 11s in Dayton I would I would and the 16s yes. get to play the little guy gets to play in the you know field of 64 yes you put four games of 11s in in Dayton, and then it's you know kind of like I quote agree. unquote playing games, and you know it the St. Marys of the world and Notre Dame's of the world they get they get a shot and go and go play. I agree and see you. if you play your way in the tournament. I would even consider, I would even consider expanding it to add a couple more games and making making all four eleven. Oh no, wait, making all four eleven seeds would do that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I think that all four eleven seeds should be the play-ins. Yeah. Not, I think that would be a cool change. Yeah. And then the little guy gets to experience the field of 64, and then the 11s that barely made it, they all get to fight it out with each other to to see who advances. That would make a 116 less yeah. realistic again. Because, Understood. Because UMBC would get bumped to seed line. and right. you know They would the, have been a 15. Right. And people argued they should have been higher than a 16 anyway, but you know that's... For another day. Right. It's happened now, so, um, so who cares? You say the, the likelihood is going to go down. Okay, well, it's not likely anyway, but at least it's happened once. I, I would like to see that change. I, and the little guy gets to play in the field of 64, and then the guys who barely made the tournament, they can fight it out to, to see who advances. We do need to take our first time out. Full lines are open, 315-437-7644. Just getting started on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. We're back on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Stephen, Seth with you up until 2 o'clock. It's Orange Nation powered by Drivers Village. Phone lines open the rest of the way. 315-437-7644. Let's get to the phone lines. Pat and Syracuse kicking us off today on the show. Hey, Pat. Man, what a fun ride. I pushed the wrong button. Pat, Pat, call us back. I call. I pushed the wrong button. Sorry. It's I early to, in the week. It and, is. Uh, I messed up. An early error for Seth. I messed up. That's my bad. We'll get you right back on. All right, Pat. Call us back. Let's go to the call next one. Sorry. Steven North Syracuse. Yeah, I'll, I'll be very interesting to hear what Pat has to say, too. I did not hang up on him on purpose. I promise. I was also not very today. interested to hear what Kenny Smith had to say after the game when he said that we lost because we were running a three-guard offense and uh, Duke was able to get all these alley-oops because we had a guard playing the back line. I wonder who our third guard was. Maybe he saw the ghost of Pearl running around out there. I don't know. Anyway, hello? Yeah, Yeah, I didn't see a third guard. I don't know. I didn't see a third guard. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We we don't have three guards unless they're going to put Braden Bayer in there. Uh, anyway, I was looking up Jim Beheim's NCAA record. I decided to see how what his record was as a favorite, what his record was as a, as an underdog. Um, these they started seedings in '79, and from that point on, I used seedings. The first two years, they, they didn't announce any seedings, so I just used the rankings. Also, in uh, 2013, we were a four seed, and so was Michigan in the Final Four. But Michigan was the higher-ranked team, so they were the favorite. And this uh, this year against Arizona State, both teams were unranked, didn't even get any votes for the top 25. 
but I knew we were the 68th team, so Arizona State was the favorite there. Now, adding it all up, as a as a favorite, Jim Beheim is 44 and 18, uh, which is a 710 uh, winning percentage, which is close to his winning percentage in regular season games. And uh, as an underdog, he's uh, I've got him at 16 and 14, which means he's won 53 percent of his games as an underdog. But a further breakdown in that is interesting. Through 1995, he was 2-8 and eight as an underdog in the NCAA tournament. And since 1996, that run when we really started to emphasize the zone defense, we didn't use it exclusively yet, but we emphasized it. He is 14-6 and six as an NCAA underdog. He's won 70% of his games as an underdog in the NCAA tournament. That's a really... Remarkable record, and and it shows the influence of of playing the zone defense against all these teams that aren't used to it. Yeah, I, I think the zone is a huge factor. I, I really do. Um, it's uh, it's a disruptor, right? It's different. It's it's not normal. It's not what you're used to. Um, I think that's a huge factor. I don't think it's the only factor, obviously, in Syracuse's success, but I certainly think it helped last week in, in those three games in five days. I mean, teams don't have time to prepare. It's different than what you're expecting. I think it helped out a ton. I I knew that I had seen something about this, and so I want to piggyback off of, of what Steve was talking about. And I saw this going into the Sweet 16 and, and into the Duke game, and there was a, a website that put out um, – a list of coaches and the the wins over what is expected. Five thirty-eight. Did you see this? Yeah, I think well, we talked. We talked about this. Oh, late you last did week. on the show. Okay, bit, obviously yeah. I wasn't here, but um, in any event, Jim Beheim's at the top of the list in terms of the most wins for any coach over what is expected in the NCAA tournament. He's essentially ten wins over what is predicted. Right. Um, over the course of his career, Tom Izzo second on the list at about nine wins. Uh, Roy Williams third, John Calabari fourth, uh, Jim Calhoun, who obviously is no longer coaching at the Division the one level. Did you see who the worst one was? Uh, no, Jamie Dixon. Is that right? Yeah. yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go scroll down. To or maybe the he end. was second worst. Is that right? But yeah, Pitt fans know that obviously. You can find pretty much anything on the internet, but I knew I had seen that, and so I wanted to pass it along. I didn't realize you guys talked about it uh, uh, set, last week. How, this is one I find incredible also, and, and it's only happened twice, so it's a small sample size. Seven and two as a double-digit seed. Uh, Jamie Dixon, uh, third on this list. Third to last? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Who's behind Ahead him? of Rick Barnes oh, and Rick Barnes. Fran Dumphy. Right, right. Interesting. Anyway. But yeah, so uh, seven and two now as a double-digit seed. That's right. It's only happened twice. Yeah, that's pretty 2016 incredible. 2016 and then this year. It is incredible. Uh, all right. Pat. We got Pat back. Sorry, Pat. I Go, really I pushed the wrong button. You can crush Sorry about Seth that. for that. That was completely his fault. <laughs> you with us, Pat? I've got him Hello? up. Hello? Yeah. Yep, I'm now here. we got you. Sorry about that, Pat. Hey. Wrong, oh, not, no, wrong no button. worry, Steve. Uh, I, I hope you're keeping an eye on Seth now that you're back in studios. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing no, I can do about that. He's in charge. No, He's know, in charge of pushing couple, the button. So, yeah, there, there you go. So, a couple big, big thoughts on, on the season. Probably one of my favorite years of all time. Go back to the Alan Griffin senior year, and I, the reason I'm going to bring this up, um, I'm going to tie a pretty little bow around it. So, the Alan Griffin senior year, um, most of that team, I don't think they had any first year players crack that lineup at all. I mean, we can go back and look, but from my memory, that that team had all returning players. Um, 
coming in as the top seven players on that team, um, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I went back and looked a little bit. There has never been a year where we lost nobody. As far as I know, at least since Pearl came in, there's never been a year where, oh, we lost zero players. You know, So that could happen this year. Um, I think Tyus wants to leave, but he also wants to make the right decision. I think the, uh, the difference with this year and Tyus, and obviously we got tons of time to talk about this as the uh, de- deadline progresses, and maybe we can figure out when that deadline is. But um, with Tyus, he's, he's going to make the right decision. I mean, if, if he gets good, good feedback, I think he's got a nice balance of circle with his father. And I think he's got a good open relationship with the coaching staff and, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make the right choice. But what I'll say is we might, we will, we won't be as sexy of a pick for top five if uh, Tyus leaves, but I think we may actually be more versatile without Tyus because of the buddy Bayheim and, and like you guys talked about Jalen Carey as a combo guard with, with Frank. And then you look at Hughes, who is uh, from all I'm hearing, even a more athletic version of Tyus battle. Um, I don't know about his shot as much, and I heard he's a pretty good passer. I mean, you, you, you will take Tyus 10 times out of 10. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in past years, we didn't have another option, um, like with uh, the Thompson situation and, and, and Leiden leaving. It, it was really kind of sticking Merrick in there when he could have used another year as a 20-minute role player this year. But for me, you know, all the haters better hibernate, and, and maybe that's the hashtag. All the haters might as well hibernate because – we proved them all wrong this year, and um, the only thing we disagreed on was some, some of the bubble, and luckily next year we won't even have to worry about that. I mean, if we're talking bubble next year, there's big problems because this, 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 this team with what's coming back, with or without Tyus, and what we have coming in, and then you put Sidibe back in this mix because you know he's going to be a completely different player next year. I, I firmly believe, I don't know the details of his surgery per se, what's going to happen, but by all accounts, it's it's not a major surgery and it's not a major rehab. So, uh, sky's the limit for for Syracuse, and and I, I love I love the uh, Charles Barkley curse. He also, uh, I I think he was like one for twenty on his pick. So next year, whatever Charles picks, I'm just going to take the opposite side. But guys, it's been a fun year. We'll we'll definitely stay in touch, and uh, I'd be curious to to look up some of these deadlines for for the draft. Thanks for the airtime, guys. All right, appreciate checking in, Pat. Yeah, I'll throw them out right now. Uh, The NBA Draft Combine is May 31st, and then again, under the new rules, as long as guys don't sign with agents, underclassmen have until June 17th. So essentially two weeks, two and a half weeks. Um, And again, I like the rule change. I like the fact that guys can go, and it's not like you know four days later they have to make a decision. They can go, they can get feedback, they can talk to their families. They're not rushed. It's not like they're making a decision under the gun. They've got two and a half weeks you know, after the Combine to kind of sort things out. So again, May 31st, the Combine in Chicago, deadline for underclassmen to withdraw June 17th. I've said this before, I would go a step further. Why not let them stay one more week? And if you go undrafted, you're allowed to come back. I, I, I would go, the, I would take the next step. And and I know that would lead to uncertainty and college coaches would hate coaches it. Coaches would and, hate it. And they would hate to have their roster unsettled going into July. But um, if you're really looking out for the well-being of the student, isn't that it? Coaches would hate it. Coaches would hate it. Coaches would never go for it. And then what it. would you do, like, if you were at your scholarship limit, if you assumed, like, all right, this guy, he's going to keep his name in, we think he's probably going to get drafted, and then he doesn't, I mean, then do you you got to take a scholarship away from somebody on I your roster? Know. I don't or do know. you just, you just, like, leave that scholarship open? Coaches are going to hate that. Coaches would hate it. It won't happen, but I think it would be a, a wise move. 
discussing the options for next year and you know whether Tyus comes or goes um and again that is something that we'll have several months now to to you know sort out um but i mean they they are they're so deep at every position i mean can you identify like what would the weakness of that team be like this one obviously it was well they they don't have a bench and if chuku gets in foul trouble we know sadibe is banged up i think you would still have questions about center I think you would still have uh, about the health, not about the production, because I think we saw this year that when Chukwu is healthy, he could be a a very productive defensive player and can finish a lob every now and then and keep you honest. I think that we saw Sidibe is an okay defensive player and a very good offensive player when healthy. Um, But I think that you would have questions about their health. I think that's about the only, I, I think that's the question mark, right? I mean, probably, but I mean, if that's your most pressing issue, I, that shows you how good this team could be, right? And I mean, the the possibilities are endless, and the combinations and the depth. And think about that. You're like, well, if Tyus goes, they'll be okay because, and you've got multiple reasons Frank why they would be and okay. Carrie and and Elijah Hughes and Buddy Bay. And that's not to say you want Tyus to leave at all. I mean, Ty, you would love to have Tyus back, absolutely. But if he does decide to leave, and I think it's very much a you know. 50-50 thing it right now. If he does decide to leave, you wish him well, and then you've got you've got reinforcements. Whereas if if Tyus wasn't on this team, uh, they would have been in a whole lot of trouble. I mean, Tyus put that team on his could back. Could you could you go Jim Beheim not ten bleeping games if if this team didn't have Tyus? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if they didn't have Tyus, who knows where this team would have been? But um, you hope he comes back. If you're an SU fan, if he doesn't. You've got reasons, you know, reasons plural to still be optimistic. Let's take another time out here. If you're on hold, stay on hold. 315-437-7644. More of your calls after this. Keep it here. Orange Nation rolls on on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth with you up until 2 o'clock. Phone lines are open. 315-437-7644. Keep those phone calls coming as we go back to the phone lines, Jake in Syracuse up next on the show. Hey, Jake. Good afternoon, guys. Um, I think if you would have told me on February 23rd that I'd be watching Syracuse basketball on March 23rd, I would have given you the number for my therapist. Um, I was, they played well against Duke. It was a great game. You know, they didn't fold. They never folded all season. This was uh, n- not necessarily a fun team to watch because uh, offensively they were setting college basketball back 60 years, but they, they gave you everything they had, and uh, I'm proud to say that. Now on to, of course, next season, Tyus Battle. Um, boy, if he comes back, we're, we're, we're looking pretty good. He shot a low percentage, 39% from the field, and I think 32% from three-point range. Uh, a lot of that was due to getting the ball in his hands with the shot clock winding down. So next year, if he did decide to come back, those percentages would go up. And the thing about this year's draft is there are a lot of big guys. There are a lot of big guys coming out, and that pushes some of the better guards down further in the draft. So, yeah, if you get a first round, if you're drafted in the first round, that's guaranteed millions. I don't know about you. I've never had a million-dollar decision on the line. But um, take a look at – if, if Tyus Battle is listening, take a look at Malachi Richardson and, Ty, and uh, Tyler Lydon. Yeah, they went in the first round, but they fumbled around the D-League all season. So is that really what you want? Or do you want to come back, make a run at a championship, and probably move yourself up in a not-so-deep draft next season? Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate checking in, Jake. Uh, a couple things. Well, you okay? Go ahead first, and then there's something I want to I want to discuss as well. I'd rather have a couple million dollars bumbling around in the D League than playing for free and maybe getting hurt. 
Understood. Um, I will say this: not every not every NBA prospect is created equally, and sometimes you know, just because you come back doesn't mean you'd improve your stock. Now, I happen to think with Tyus that, to Jake's point, if he comes back, I do think he could improve his stock. And the reason I say that, and you know, Jake's a knowledgeable caller, and he pointed out his field goal percentage. I'm glad he followed it up by saying, now some of that is due to the fact. You know, dot dot dot, that he was shooting late in shot clock, and and he was asked to do so much. I wouldn't even say some of that. I would say most of of the reason that his percentages were down this year. I'm not sure people realize what he was asked to do. I mean, we all saw it night in and night out, but he was asked to play 40 minutes. He was asked to carry this team from a scoring perspective when they were playing three on five. He was asked a lot of times. To Jake's point, five seconds on the shot clock, somebody would shovel him the ball and say, "Here." Make a play. Do something. You look at that game he had against Duke. Like, that is what Tyus Battle can do on a regular basis, like, if he's getting help. Like, he was 4 for 8 from 3, 7 for 15 from the field. He didn't force it. He shot when he needed to. I've got the stats in front of me, so just bear with me for one second. I just want to see what he did in the first half. 4 for 8 in the first half, 3 for 4 from the three-point line, and then, again, essentially took the same amount of shots in the second half. There was more of an offensive flow in that game. I think we would all agree. And so he was able to pick his spots. When he was open, he was able to shoot. So if if he's on a team that has weapons and all five guys on the floor can actually score. He's a very dangerous player. Much more dangerous. His percentages are going to go up. He so, shot tw- he took twice as many shots, literally twice as many shots as he took last year. So I think he is a guy that if he came back, his stock would go up. Now, if you ask me, well, if Tyler Ennis came back, would his stock have gone no. up? I don't think so. I don't think um, so at all. Certainly, you know, you go back to Johnny Flynn and Dion. I mean, they went, you know, fourth and sixth, respectively. Dion went fourth. Johnny went sixth. If they came back, would they have gone higher than that? No. Would Malachi have gone higher? Did he go 22nd, I want to say, yes. off the top of my head? Would he have gone higher than that? Maybe. I, you know, but I may, don't know. I, is he a lottery pick? Probably not. I don't think so. So if he went, you know, from 22nd to 18th, is that really worth coming back? And I do think Tyus could help his case. Now, that's not to say. And again, we you know where I stand on this. I think you and I share the same opinion that if you're going to go in the first round, you're going to get guaranteed money. I cannot argue with that. Like if if and that's your dream and, you know, so I'm not saying he should come back or shouldn't come back. I'm just saying that if he did come back, I do think that that could help his stock where some other guys like Malachi, like Tyler Lydon, I'm not sure how much Tyler would have necessarily jumped up. That's what I was going to say. In the grand scheme of things. I was going to say Tyler Lydon in this draft Going up against Bagley and Aiton and Wendell Carter and Doncic, probably going to about the same. Place. So, like, I don't, I don't think that you could say, well, you know, Malachi definitely would have gone higher. Tyler Lydon definitely would have gone I'm not higher. Sure. I do think Tyus Battle has something to gain by coming back and playing on a national title contender and playing on a team that has five guys who can score and he can improve his three point shot and his percentages and all that. Um, I, I do think there's something to be gained. If he goes to the combine, has a great combine, and, and teams are like, you know what? We love your skill set. We love your size. We love what you can do right now, and, and we want to get you on our system, and you're, you're going to go in the first round? Then, again, can't argue with that at all. But I do think he has something to gain by coming back. Yeah, I, I think him more so than the others recently. Uh, you know, I, I, Malachi was at the, the peak of his value. I, I mean, that Virginia game was as high as he was going to get. Uh, you know, Tyler Ennis, there was no way in my mind he was going to get any higher than that. I mean, 
barring you know going Michael Carter the, Williams another Michael example Carter, yeah going off to the final four like I, I don't think any of those guys really would have gone any higher than they did to your point Tyus I think is a guy who maybe he would benefit by coming back because he wouldn't be asked to do as he wouldn't be asked to do as much but would be able to do the same thing if that makes any sense it at all it makes perfect like, sense to me because he would come back he would come back next year and score 20 points a game anyway but instead of doing it on 20 shots he would do it on 12 he would look better doing it he the team's going to have a lot of success i think there are a lot of reasons that again in the in in favor of him coming back not saying he should i'm just saying i think there are reasons for him to come back i think the same reasons apply to O'Shea Brissett. if he's on oh, the I team i think O'Shea should come you know, back yeah. absolutely and you know we asked him about it in the locker room we meaning the media asked him about it in the locker room and he looked again surprised by the question and you know basically said yeah of course i'm i'm planning on coming back you know at this point he's got to talk to his family and obviously but um, it sounds like he's you know heavily leaning toward coming back, and I think he's got a lot to gain. He can improve his outside shooting. He can improve finishing at the rim. He's going to be on a really good team. All the th- same things that apply with Tyus about being on a good team and still being able to do what he does, but you know having success as a team and and being you know able to be more efficient. Um, I think it's going to help his case as well. Yeah, the only thing I would say against this, particularly in the in the case of Tyus Battle, is. Nobody will admit this, but I think that there are two stigmas that could hurt him. One, I think that there is... Uh, if you're a junior in college, exa- you're, you yes. must not be that good. Yes, I think that there's a stigma against guys who are upperclassmen. And I also think, and this is a really important one, I think that the, that going through the draft process and testing the waters isn't as simple as it sounds. And if you're curious, check it out on ESPN.com. Jonathan Gavoni, who's like their draft guru, wrote something really good about this where like if you're not all the way in, teams aren't going to invest in you and like you can go to the combine and you can perform poorly. And the best example of that to me is Nigel Hayes. Like you're telling me he wasn't worth getting drafted. Uh, You know, Nigel Hayes was a very productive four year college basketball player. Uh, You're telling me he wasn't worth getting drafted. He went undrafted because he went to the combine as a junior, totally bombed pulled his name out of the draft, and then you know couldn't recover from it and didn't get invited the following year. So I think that there is some negative to going through the process and pulling your name out. And I don't know how big a negative it is, but there's something. Let's be honest. You might get some misinformation as well. I mean, if a, you know, a team makes some sort of promise or we think this should happen, but again, I mean, nothing is, is guaranteed, right? If somebody else is there and, oh, well, we didn't expect this guy to fall. Sorry. You know, we thought we'd take right. you at 24, but, you know, this guy was there and we, we couldn't hey, pass D- on him. Dion, and- we'll take you at four. Oh, but then Mike, Michael Kidd Gilchrist fell to four. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. it's not an exact science. So, right. um, I mean, it is a roll of the dice either way, d- depending on what you decide to do. Um, obviously, we wish Tyus the best in, in his decision, and he's got to take some time and talk to his family and, and figure it all out. Um, but again, I, I do think there are there, there's a case for and there's a case against. Yeah. Um, and this year, it feels a lot more 50-50 than it normally does with these guys. Like, there, there are good reasons to come back, and there are good reasons for him to leave. Yeah, I think that when we were talking about this the last couple of years, it was pretty obvious that the guys were gone. This year, I'm, I'm a little less certain. Right? And, and again, it's I'm not little, to say I'm a little unsure about whether right. Tyus is and here. And here's, or not here's next the year. thing. Here's the difference. It's not to say that his game isn't ready for the NBA or that he can't make an impact. It's to say that he might be able to. In my opinion, he might be one of the few guys that if he comes back, he could benefit from that year in right. terms of his draft stock. Whereas we just laid out, you know, Tyler Ennis and Tyler Lydon and Malachi, and were they going a lot higher? Probably not. Michael Carter Williams, another example. Like they left about when they should have. Like, they left at they, their peak. That was about you know they weren't going to go 
much higher. Now, maybe if Tyler Lydon comes back, does he go three spots higher? At the end of the day, maybe. that's not a big deal. I think Tyus might be able to help his case a lot if he were to come back. But again, we'll we'll wait to see uh, what he decides. Let's be honest. Tyler Lydon should have gone a year earlier. Would he have gone much higher? I don't know. He might have. You think? Coming off the Final Four? I don't know. I don't know if he would have gone much higher. I mean, he still went in the first round. Would he have gone much higher? I don't know. I don't think so. Is he a lottery pick if he goes after his freshman year? I don't think so. Probably not. No. And I guess that's my point. 315-437-7644. We wrap up hour number one right after this.